0: If you could share uh, two things, two things that you can apply or that you've been encouraged to to think about in your ministry context, and uh, and one thing, you know, one question or thing that's been been challenging from from what Ed's had to say. In regards to getting people involved, if you read church growth books, they'll tell you that the churches that grow are the ones who get people involved and. Get them. So there's a real pragmatic reason there, but obviously we need more than a pragmatic reason to get people to hang around and to be involved. There's the theological reason. So, gold. What I've been reminded of today, um, I'm left thinking this: we need to preach to ourselves and die to ourselves as leaders in the church. We need to preach to ourselves um, that our responsibility is to Ephesians four eleven and twelve. Our responsibility as leaders as gifted ministers of the word in the church, is to equip everyone else to do the work. And I think it's one thing to go, yep, yeah, not our heads to it. It's another thing to really believe that and actually turn to God's people and actually teach them and enable them to step up. So I need to keep preaching that to myself and I need to keep dying to myself because, as we've said, as you push the work away from yourself, you're dying to that ability to get the affirmation and get the, uh, get what we... What we feel like we need, um, and say so preach myself, die to myself um, ephesians four twelve like really believe it, really believe it, um, and then actively teach teach god 's people that it is their job to do the work. Um, I had an opportunity to do that a few weekends ago as we gathered a bunch of our people involved in ministry, and um, I was encouraging them to see that this is they were made for this, this is what God has actually caught them up into his church the most significant gathering in the universe to do is to actually be involved, play their role. So Ephesians, I keep saying Ephesians 4, it's just awesome. Um, It's to, um, they're all joined and held together by every supporting ligament and the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work to actually encourage them to know that they've got a role to play, that they've been swept up to do their work and to invest in the work of building the church there is nothing of more value to give themselves to than to build the church. Um, We've all got time and energy, but to invest in what really counts, to invest in the thing that, like you've said, Ephesians 3, that God is holding up to the whole universe, showing off his glorious wisdom, to invest in that, to invest in the thing that is at the centre of God's plan and purposes for all things is to invest in what really counts. So to teach that, uh, preach yourself Teach it to the crew and then actually have a way, a pathway, a clear way for people to actually step up in ministry. So we work as hard as we can to put in place, to be clear about where we're trying to go, to actually um, build the vehicles, the ministry teams, put them in place and actually have ministry teams for people to join where there's clear job descriptions and they're going to be held accountable for their jobs and they're going to need to called the report on their job and actually really give them full-on responsibility um, and, and, and through doing that process from the ground up in every area of church life, we'll see leaders emerge. And as we see leaders emerge, we continue to train them some more and then send them out. So that's kind of what's going through my mind. And, you know, just recently we've had the chance to start a new campus about half an hour away. Greg Masters is up the back with the flannel on. He's the guy building that work. And his job has been to do do nothing but to get everyone else to do everything. And he's doing a fantastic job at that. There's. <laughs> This, uh, he started with a group of about 40 and uh, everybody working their tail off, doing everything that needs to be done and him overseeing the work. And um, That's just so exciting to be able to live in that way because you really believe that it's your job. As... So when you talk about three tiers, there is tiering you know Ephesians 4 will say there's tearing there's gifted ministers of the word of god so you pass this teacher did it and their responsibility their job is very different from everyone else's job because their job is to equip everyone else to do the work so there's at least two tiers in my mind as I as I read that um so there's a bit of disagreement is that okay Are you happy with that so it
1: just wouldn't be
0: australia if there weren't. yeah some... okay i was trying to think of something um, i wouldn't call them
1: tiers i think tiers is an unhelpful term okay I would, say there, I would say there are different roles. Uh, one is the equipping role, because you see in First, uh, first Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it mm. says, and that those who speak, uh, you know, speak as to the oracles of God, or those who serve to do so from the strength God provides. Yeah. I think throughout Scripture we see the, we see the gifts listed, mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. these are the best ones and these are the not best ones. matter of fact, the unseemly ones are often the ones worthy of most honor. Sure. So I would say that there are roles in the church and in the body mm. of Christ, and equipping mm. is mm. such an important one. I think a lot of pastors are abdicating that equipping role. Sure. But I love, the, I love a, what you said. It's you a very distinct role. Of it is. Yeah. It is. And I would say it's an office. I would say the, the mm. office of Pastor Elder is one office in a local church. Mm. People have different polities. Some have two offices, whatever. Mm. And so I think it's, a, it's worthy of honor. First Timothy says it's worthy of honor. Mm. But I think what well, you said is so important. I, I forget the guy that you mentioned back there. But his job is to get, do nothing and to get everyone to do everything else. I mean, that's, if I could give a job description for a pastor, that's what Mm. I'd say, is get God's people engaged in God's mission, and I think what a privilege that is, and that's worthy of honor. Mm.
2: Totally. Um, Yeah, in uh, getting invited to come along today, I thought, what what are the things I'd write down about getting someone to move from passivity to activity, and so I wrote a few notes and I think that Ed's actually hacked into my computer and he regurgitated <laughs> it here this Um I was thinking the modelling that we've got to have yeah. pastors who are captain coaches, not Formula One drivers, to use a illustration from a book. I, I think most churches are, um, you know, the pastor pulls into the pits and the congregation refuel, change the tyres and wave as he races off to do some more ministry. I think that's pathetic. and I, And I find... You're, um, in our sort of uh, Australian heritage, to be that, that phrase, most Protestant Protestantism today looks like pre-Reformation Catholicism, I think that's the grenade that we need to roll down the aisle of Christianity in Australia. Um, I was thinking too about the ordinary soldier needs, every every soldier needs to be trained. I, I've dropped a bit of paper on your table there. There's a I think the hard thing is to go from ought-tos to how-tos and... If you're a tank mechanic in the army, you still get trained in basic training in how to use a Steyr rifle. And I think what we've accepted in Christianity is that not everyone has to be able to explain the gospel. Not everyone has to be able to give an answer for the hope. And I think that's really problematic. So um, I loved what you were saying. I reckon yeah, all-member missionary, not just ministry, is is fantastic. Um, And the other thing is... um, I I loved your uh, where among whom and doing what and I guess the yellow bit of paper I, I I'm I'm just a simple Bible believing Christian I actually um pretty basic kind of guy I find it really hard to get people to do the stuff preachers we often go ought to not how to and I, I reckon the hard thing is to how do you get people to do stuff and um in in the ministries that I'm involved in I just think. The eyeballs are a really important part of ministry. You just got to eyeball blokes and eyeball women and say, Who are your non Christian friends? Like in a personal conversation. And if they don't have any, you say, Well, you got to live in the world but not of the world. You've actually got to get out of the holy huddle. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm surprised to hear an American agreeing with me. I just thought it was fantastic.
1: Oh, that's awesome! I did. A, I, the Christ Love, I wrote a book called "Compelled by Love," the most excellent way to Mission missional living. And I'm telling you, we're like sharing a brain here. I'm um, in the yeah. back of this page. This is very similar to what we've written. As a matter of fact, I'm considering a copyright infringement suit. Uh, and this is just <laughs> well, that's great just stuff. out
2: of Tony Payne and Cole Marshall's book, "The The Chalice and the Wine."
1: Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so Maybe the I'm in trouble. Chalice and the Vine. Chalice and the Vine. Chalice and the Wine. I like that. <laughs> who Who are you non-Christian mates?
0: How How have you actually, uh, you know, stepped out of? Stepped
2: out of the church. Yeah, well, when you look at that there, like there's the non-Christian mates who you've got to actually walk out of your front yard, go across the nature strip and walk in next door. So, yeah, I've worked really hard to get to know my next-door neighbours. But um, just thinking about who in your community you run into. So my kids go to a Christian school. I think at that Christian school 50% of mums are Christians, about 30% of dads are. So I went to the principal and I said, can I run a Bible study to teach dads what the school teaches their kids? Wow. It's called Maturing God because that's the, the motto of the school. And the principal said, I'd love you to do that. It's one of my key performance indicators uh, <laughs> is to evangelise the parents. So you can do that for me, you ripper. So um, I don't know. I mean, I'd, that's uh, – then there's blokes we go – Riding the pushy with on a Sunday morning. So, everyone's all at different stages, but um, there's some of the things that I work at, and presumably, you know, all different gospel workers work at. Um, but I think we've got a real problem in the church. I keep running into pastors, and they actually don't have any non Christian friends. And I understand that. I know what that's like. And I just think if that's the case, then a dramatic change has to take place. Because if they've got no non-Christian mates, then when they preach and they live before the congregation, the congregation will not feel any tension about not having any non-Christian friends.
1: Ben, I would say that the majority of pastors have no real non-Christian friends, and thus they can sometimes get trapped in a world where they're telling other people to meet people when they themselves are not meeting them. And uh, you know we had um, we had a Super Bowl party at our house recently. It's a big football game we do in the United States. You may have heard of it. It's uh, it's it's a lot. The commercials are a little little much. Um, (laughs) But you know, I I actually we had twelve families over for the Super Bowl party. Um, But some of my people in my church got upset because I told them they weren't allowed to come because I was busy reaching my neighbors and they're my friends. Um, And and I I think I think that's. But I want them to. I want them to hear that no, no, I'm having people that don't know Christ in my home. To watch a football game because they're my friends, and we go out and we go to movies and we fellowship. I, th- I think for many of us in this room, we have to work because we, we're friends with people with whom we share values. We don't share values sometimes with people who are far from God. We've got to learn to share relationships so that we can share those values that are the gospel.
0: One of the one of the key or one of the questions that, that I ask uh, young guys when they're coming to to get assessed is, you know, show me show me your diary, show me your time. What are you What are you spending your week doing? In between surfing lots. Um, you know, what, is, what does your week look like, Tim? How do, you, how do you sort of break it down so that you're not actually in a Christian enclave? Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. So apart from meeting with direct reports and doing sermon prep um, and having staff meetings, um, I yeah, block out time where I actually do hang out with guys, meet them for a coffee, some guys don't want to meet for a coffee. It's a bit weird, but um, but so I go for a surf with them. Um, I make sure I'm home at Tuesday around eleven thirty if I can be, because that's when the fruit box guy comes. And my wife is just always talking to me about Jesus, and so I want to be there as well, helping her out. Not that she needs help, but you know, you know, I want to be there. I want to be part of it. So um, as intentional as I can, and and without boasting, doing my best to share whatever I'm doing, so that. People can see that I'm actively working to connect with non-Christian Good. friends because they need to hear the stories. They need to hear my failed attempts. They need to, yeah. They need to see me doing it. Sure. So. How how would you break up a week? Um, you know, if a young guy came to you and said, "Ed, how how should I break down the 168 hours
1: that I've got in the week?" Do you, Do you mean how I personally do it, or you mean how I would recommend someone? Yeah, doing? how okay. you recommend? Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I mean my job's a little different now, yeah. but um. But I, I actually, in planning missional churches, I talk about four 15-hour blocks. I, I, think, I think 60 hours, this may be different in culturally different settings, but I encourage church planners to work between uh, 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, and so 12 to 15-hour blocks, 12 to 15 hours being in contexts and conversations with people who are far from God. So that might be uh, sitting in a coffee shop trying to start up conversations with strangers. Uh, it might be uh, intentionally visiting somebody and sharing Christ. So a quarter of your time doing that quarter of your time uh, developing leaders, working with people, meeting with leaders, you call them direct reports, developing leaders. Uh, quarter of your time in sermon preparation, uh, and then a quarter of your time in the administrative functions, maybe your webpage or the plan or your membership class or whatever. Um, what I found is is that of those four things, there's two that get lost, and that's leaders and the lost. And so I've got to say, I've got to hold people accountable, spend time with leaders and the lost. With the lost, with the you know, 12 to 15 hours a week with unchurched people, like, well, what do I do? And I, and I and I say just go meet people, just just start conversations with strangers, and, and and see if you can get more information. Sometimes when I'm mentoring a church planner, I'll say they'll say I can't can't do that. So say well come with me, let's go right now, and let's go see how many people we can meet in a three-hour period and get their phone number if we can even do that, and maybe get more information to them about the church. And it's it's uh, it's you know maybe maybe one out of 10 I'll give, but you know just having the conversation and someone says really what's starting a new church mean? Well, would you like us to send you some more information? Give us an email address. Now, 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 again, different culture, different context, and so, so we want to make sure we're very crystal clear. I'm aware of that, um, but what I would say is, is that that 12 to 15 hours a week building relationships with lost people, I think, is key. You can do that in a lot of different means. Other questions?
0: Yeah, um, what do you guys think the mission of the church actually is? Uh, does it include social action, for example? Uh, I just read. Uh, Kevin DeYoung's what is the mission of the church and he argues against that he says, mission is simply preaching the gospel evangelizing that's the mission and nothing else is the mission so what would you guys would you agree with that yeah
1: have you read it yes I've written a rather lengthy review of it published by the Gospel Coalition <laughs> 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 have you read it
0: I'm in process already yeah yeah
1: yeah I, I would say that I encourage you to read the review. It's 3,000 words. The Gospel Coalition asked me to write a review of the book. Um, I would say that I believe the uh, mission of the church is perhaps well articulated in joining Jesus on his mission. Um, I think the center of that mission is gospel proclamation, but gospel proclamation leads to disciple making, which leads to people who live transformed lives and do gospel demonstration. So I agree with the Gospel Coalition's statement of vision and ministry. Kind of the evangelical consensus is, is that 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 the mission includes both gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. The members of the Gospel Coalition have actually written and agreed to that as a statement. Um, you've got, so you've got variations of that. So DeYoung and Gilbert have written in saying the gospel, um, that, that the mission is is disciple-making, uh, the Great Commission of Disciple-Making. And I, 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 for me, I'm very, I'm very in line with their concern. I've written extensively, 12 books on missions and evangelism. So I'm very in line with their concern, that in some of, we don't, I don't think we use the same term, but we call it mainline Protestantism in the United States. In some of the more liberal churches, they have lost gospel proclamation in the name of the kingdom of God and doing acts of justice and mercy. But I don't think you can get through the scriptures and ignore the clear connection between discipled believers actually acting as in ways that are justice and mercy. And so, so what, what I would say and what the evangelical consensus is, is that, well, there's actually several ways you can express it. Um, the Gospel Coalition sort of say, it says churches should work for justice in their community. And I like the Gospel Coalition statement on that. So yes, part of the mission of the church is to care for the hurting where we can make a difference and an impact to do that. But the way I would describe it is the center of that mission is gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration flows from that. When you get kind of evangelicalism as a spectrum, Get the gospel Coalition is probably on the right side of evangelicalism. By right, I mean like, like not compared to the wrong. Uh, the, but actually, probably as well, uh, the, uh, from, from my theological persuasion. And so probably on the right side. So we would emphasize gospel proclamation greatly. And then you've got things like Luzon, which are more in the center of evangelicalism. And they would talk about the ultimacy of gospel proclamation in the mission. So the mission is to uh, you join Jesus on his mission, but ultimately you need to proclaim the gospel at every opportunity. But no evangelical that I know would actually say or believe the gospel proclamation is important. But the danger is this, is the world will praise you when you do justice and resist you when you preach Jesus. So this is why prioritism is so important and the gospel proclamation has to be central. So so I would, uh, I, I think DeYoung and Gilbert are good men who love Jesus. Um, I, I would be more with the gospel coalition that, uh, that they're, I think Kevin's a, a member of. I would be more with the gospel coalition than win their book, which I think unnecessarily narrows the mission. And I wrote 3,000 words on that in the gospel coalition. Um, anyone read my review in the gospel coalition? No? Well, so much for that. Well, thanks for nothing. One guy, and I preached, did you like it or did you hate it? Um, I'm. Un- I'm not complaining. You are not far from the kingdom. And uh, so come, you know, that's fair enough. I think, it's, I think there's room for debate. Here's, my, here's where I'm deeply disappointed. Christians who believe in gospel proclamation as essential are being divided over an issue, which sometimes has to do with just a lack of understanding between the positions and the nuances. I, 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 the, the people I want to be on the team with f- so value gospel proclamation. It, they're either going to call it the center they're going to call it the stack poll, or in some cases, like the and Gilbert, they're going to call it the mission. I wouldn't say it's the mission. But I'd say people who think it's the center or the or central are on the same team, and it disturbs me that people are dividing over this issue. Again, I think the Gospel Coalition statement is right on. Churches should work for justice in their community, but the gospel proclamation is the center of that mission.
3: It's good. You guys may have a different
1: view. Feel free to jump in.
3: Ed, if I could just ask you a further question on that. Um I, I think thinking now. I'm pres- hearing words, but I don't know where they're coming from. Oh, there you are. Okay. <laughs> yes, Lord.
1: Because I knew God would have an Australian accent. <laughs> he, he
3: does. <laughs> <laughs> and if I could just um, yeah. ask you further on that, um, uh, I think in this room there'd be um, strong unanimity about the gospel proclamation being yeah. centre. Um, I was a little surprised as I went to the City to City conference uh, last year that um, it seemed as though uh, the group from Tim Keller and Redeemer uh, weren't just saying the acts of social justice were matters of obeying James, for example, yeah. but were actually ways that you brought in the kingdom and um, uh, that it wasn't just a matter of obedience, but yeah. it was actually somehow you were bringing in the new millennium the kingdom or something you know and. Mm. Uh, and I've just noticed a completely different tone from you to their presentation just a couple of months ago, and it struck me quite starkly. Um, I, I, I just wanted to reflect on that.
1: I don't know. Let me say this. Since I don't know their presentation, what they've done, I, 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 let, let me speak to broadly the issue. matter of fact, I was up at Tim's. Uh, Tim was hosting a conference in, in, uh, at Redeemer in New York City called the Dwell Conference, and my, they asked me to preach on the kingdom mission. And we were in this church that largely committed theological suicide, pursuing the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God and shalom through social justice. This was in the early part of the last century in the social gospel movement. And then in the mid part of the last century, largely committed mission suicide by pursuing the Missio Dei movement. And so Tim and I were sitting in the back and I turned to him and I said, you know, there's an irony that we're meeting in a meeting hall of a church that closed down and is now used just as rented space for concerts because of the kingdom of God and the mission of God misunderstood. And I said, maybe I should say something about that. And he said, yeah, yeah, say something about this. Um, so so I, I know for them, uh, I don't believe, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, I, mean, I haven't asked them, but it would be surprising to me that a ministry that flows out of the ministry in the heart of Tim Keller, which, um, which I hear him speak about the centrality of gospel proclamation and the importance of gospel demonstration, would come to the belief that we could usher in the kingdom of God simply by doing good deeds of justice. But you may, I, again, you, you were there, I wasn't. Um, what I would say is only what I know, what I, what I, what I believe. Uh, I have a new book coming out on the kingdom of God. It's called The Subversive Kingdom. Uh, and it's, uh, it used to be subtitled The Rebel's Guide to the Gospel Insurgency, but I think they changed the name to something less militant. Um, it's, it's a yank thing. We always want to have a gun and a militancy in it. Um, but, but here here's, 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 here's my view. I think Christians do kingdom work, um, but only Jesus can bring his kingdom. Um, I, I think that when Christians care for the widow and the orphan, we're doing kingdom work. But that kingdom work, only only God can advance His kingdom by creating uh, what was dead, making it alive, and a citizen in the kingdom. And I think ultimately, um, I, I want Christians to do kingdom work, but I don't want them to be of the triumphalistic belief that in doing and bringing about shalom and peace on earth, that they can bring in the kingdom of God. Now, I do recognize that there are uh, post-millennialists and there's different views on uh, millennialism uh, that are at work. I'm actually an historic premillennialist, like Jesus was. And so, um, you know, so, so people have different views on that. Um, but but at the end of the day, um, you might, what, I, what I hear from them is gospel proclamation with accompanied and demonstrated with some of those uh, acts of mercy and works of service. Uh, Tim and I actually put out a statement together called the the Missional Manifesto and several, it was eight or nine of us who did it the missional manifesto. And we say that very thing in the missional manifesto. So Tim helped frame the document. I encourage you and commend it to you where that's our belief would not be that you can usher in the kingdom of God through doing of good works, but instead that disciple Christians do acts of mercy because that's what, that's what flows out of their uh, of their new life in Christ.
0: Um, this is more a comment than a question. Just uh, It's interesting that around the same time as DeYoung and Gilbert's book coming out, just before John Dixon wrote a book called The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, are proclaiming the gospel with more than our words and I think they're they're both books on the same topic but probably addressing different audiences I think maybe de Young and Gilbert are talking to that mainline Protestant kind of audience which is caught up in social action as the means to bring in the kingdom and maybe we need to listen to Dixon a bit more who's perhaps speaking to people closer to our Position.
1: Yeah, I would say and you remember DeYoung, DeYoung is is a member of a mainline denomination in the United States. A mainline is more of our old line denominational structures. And certainly, reading the book, it did much of the talk of missional there kind of reflected more of that mainline uh, uh, context. You know, I, I would have I would have just preferred a more uh, well, more like a the Gospel Coalition statement that uh, that does say churches should work for justice, and I I think they could. But here's the thing. I think one of the great dangers. I share their concern. One of the great dangers of evangelicals today, we would be foolish to think that we are not likely to follow the path of our forefathers and foremothers 100 years ago who went down this exact path naively. Now, we're not doing the exact same thing because history doesn't really repeat itself. It rhymes, and this rhymes with the same movement we saw before. So if in engaging social justice, we do not think about what happened the last time evangelicals, Christians, they were evangelicals then, and they later walked away from it, engaged social justice. This is the third time in 100 years that Christians have rediscovered social justice. One was the Kingdom of God movement at the beginning of the last century. The second was the Missio Dei movement, uh, post-Willingen and after. And, and the last two ended really badly. Now, the question is, is, can we be faithful to the Scriptures, which I do think teach Christians concern for the, for the, uh, for the culture around us and for the hurting and the poor, the widow and the orphan? without adopting the theological system that ultimately undermined the gospel proclamation, uh, I think we better. I think we better.